listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. This is our last episode for calendar year 2022, and I hope it was a good year for you, and I hope that next year is even better. I know this is the time when a lot of people reflect on what sort of changes they're going to make for the new year. And I think one change that I would hope that you spend time considering is growing in your mental health. One area that's important that I've seen a lot of people get stuck in in professional services, people that are high achievers, is burning out. Our guest today is an expert on that very issue. Today, we're having a discussion with Janice Litvin on how to banish burnout. She's an expert on this topic. She's on a mission to help leaders and organizations banish burnout so that their colleagues can come to work healthy, happy, and ready to work. She's a professional speaker on this topic. She does a fantastic job, and I know she puts a lot of energy, enthusiasm, even some engaging stories and humor into her presentations just to keep it light, to keep people engaged. You're going to get some great ideas and some tactical tips on how you can banish burnout from this session, from our interview today. So make sure you connect with Janice, check out the show notes so you can connect with her directly. And I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Janice today. Thanks for listening. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now, here's Janice Litvin. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We have our guest, Janice Litvin, talking about how to banish burnout. Janice, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me, Scott. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, this is great. So in all these industries of professional services, we're dealing with high performers, people that have to perform at a peak performance level all the time, not just some of the time, but all the time. And that eventually leads to burnout. What are some of the the things that professionals should keep top of mind as we kind of start talking about this subject here? What are some of the things that they should keep top of mind regarding this? Well, you bring up such an important point, Scott, and that is when we're excited about our work, which high performers are, we get in a zone and it can go on for days and days, sometimes through the weekends, late into the night. It's really important to stay connected with how you're doing. And there are little micro clues that you're beginning to stress out. I hate to use the word burnout so quickly because you're not burned out until you're collapsing emotional exhaustion. Right evidence by emotional exhaustion. So there are a lot of little micro clues. Interesting. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel like you haven't had a good night's sleep? Is your food off? Are you overeating or undereating? Are you snapping at people accidentally, especially in the family, people you love? Are you starting to feel like, oh, I really need to take a day off? Anytime you have these little Thoughts, or you stop exercising and you normally were an exerciser. All these little micro clues. Do you just feel exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically? It's time to take a break, whether it's a day at the beach right. or a week vacation. So let me ask you this then. Should we wait until we start seeing these micro clues? And okay, it's time for me to get Janice's book and learn how to keep from burning out. Or should we be proactive and live in a way that we don't ever 
see those micro clues? What's what's been your experience? Well, just like with maintaining a car, you should be maintaining yourself. For okay, example, good, do you good. get your tires rotated? Do you check your fluids? Do you check your brakes? Right. Yes, I hope you do. Well, that's what the dealer does. I mean, you know, I just give it to them, and I think they're doing. But you remember. But to. you remember to bring it in. That's right. Yeah, I get the call. They well, call me. T- <laughs> take your well. Take yourself in for a checkup. Right. Meaning daily. Daily, you should be checking with yourself. Some people pray. Some people meditate. Some people take walks outside. Some people call a friend. By the way, calling a friend is highly valuable. Back when I was a recruiter, we were talking about recruiting offline. I was a recruiter for 20 years before email, which means <laughs> what? We had to pick up the phone. Faxing the phone. resumes. Faxing resumes, right? Before faxing. <laughs> faxing was like such a big invention. But my first call of the day was always to a good friend. First of all, it warmed up my voice and it warmed up my mood and it got me engaged. And I'm like, how are you doing? What are you working on today? What am I working on today? Do we have anything we can share? Do you have any problems you need help with? Do I have any problems I need help with? And bang, it was sometimes only five minutes, but every single morning, that was my practice. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. Let me kind of go back. You talked about daily. So it sounds like these are rituals that we can incorporate in our lives. Is that correct? Absolutely. And tell me, you rattled off a few of those. Let me go back over those one by one, because I want to give people time to really process this and kind of find the one that works for for them. Or do you think people should do multiple rituals? What's been your experience on that? It depends what works for them. Like I said, for me, it's talking to a friend or, or sitting outside with my coffee and just relaxing. Don't just like wake up in the morning and Zoom, I'm on my computer. Right. So what are some of these rituals or habits that we should follow? You mentioned one is meditating. Is that right? One is meditating. And I'm not pushing people to do any one ritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think people need to find the one that works for them, whether it's meditating. Writing in a journal is highly, highly valuable, similar to talking to a friend. But writing connects you with your deeper self. And there are parts of my book I'll talk about as we go through the writing part, but writing helps you understand things that are not coming to your consciousness until you actually write. Interesting. You know, I've noticed when, because I do keep a journal, I write in it at least once a week, usually victories or disappointments or other things, the emotional context of work. I find that if I can't fall asleep, I'll wake up and I'll just start writing until I get it out of my head on a journal. And I've noticed that if I go several weeks without doing that, I feel that anxiety I feel that stress where I think it does lead to burnout. So that's interesting that you said that. Uh, thanks for helping me do therapy in front of everybody, Janice. I appreciate appreciate that. So when we write in our journal, what are some of the things that we should put down? Whatever prompt you need. How are you feeling today? What's work? What's going on for you? What are you focused on? What are you worried about? What is stressing you out? What is causing you not to have a good night's sleep? Even if it's a to-do list for the day and that relaxes you, then write your to-do list for the day. And don't forget, reading a book that has nothing to do with your work, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, is also a very healing and powerful activity. Interesting. Why is that, do you think? Because it allows your mind to open up to things that are bigger than yourself. You connect to a bigger... Like, for example, I'm reading Ruth Bader Ginsburg's autobiography. Of course, I, at the time that her movies were popular, I listened to the audiobook. But I thought, wouldn't it be fun to go back because she even includes things that she wrote 
as a high school and a middle school. That's how intelligent she was. Wow, wow. And so it gets me thinking about another time in another place. And I see solutions in her, in other people's writings. That's fantastic. When you're not thinking about problems, sometimes that's when the solution comes. Have you ever noticed that you're working on something and you say, okay, I'm done for the day. And then you go take a shower and suddenly a solution pops into your head. It's like that with reading too. And I found that with driving. I remember hearing the founder of Spanx. I can't remember her name, but she said that whenever she'd want to get an idea, she'd just get in her car and just drive. What what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I often think, oh, if only I could write while I'm driving. I often get (laughs) solutions. Like if I'm writing a new speech, I'll suddenly, I don't know why, an idea will start jumping into my head. I'll get to a red light and I'll I'll start audio recording. That's great. So meditating is number one. Writing in a journal is number two. That's good. What are some other daily habits or rituals? Well, reading. Reading, as I just said. Reading, yep, that's right. Okay. And taking walks outside. I'll tell you why the outside part, although taking walks in first, you're going to walk outside. But taking walks outside gives you a triple whammy of happiness chemicals. Number one, as soon as the sun hits your skin, vitamin D, I mean, is activated, as well as dopamine. So you instantly feel happier the moment you walk outside. Number two, if you're walking, you get the aerobic endorphins. And if you can walk with a friend or even talk to them on the phone while you're walking, you get the social connection oxytocin. That's great. I think I read a Wall Street Journal article about that recently. I think they even wrote about that, which I found was interesting that the Wall Street Journal is writing about this. Uh, Did they quote me? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'll have to look. I'll look and see. I'll look and see. I doubt it. So meditating, writing in a journal, reading, walking outside. You also talked about calling a friend. Calling a friend. Yeah. Biggie. Like I said, walking outside with a friend is great. If you can't walk with them outside, sit and talk to them on the phone, even on a rainy day. You know, loneliness is a gigantic problem that was, it was already happening before the pandemic. But just imagine people who got all their social interactions at work suddenly not having that opportunity to to see people grab someone to go for coffee or go for lunch and sitting, especially people who lived alone or live alone, being all alone for two years. There was a guy, I remember about four months into the pandemic and I was in one of my millions of Zoom groups at the time. And he said, do you know, I haven't had a hug in 14 weeks. Wow. And I thought, wow, thank God for my family because I have my husband and my adult son around me and I get hugs whenever I want them. Yeah, that's interesting. He was in New York City. In New York City, they were told not to go out, period. At least here in California, we, we could go out and take walks, go to a park, get out and walk and then say hi to people, even though everybody was wearing masks all over the place. You still had some amount of social connecting. Yeah, it seems so long ago. That's just two years ago. I know. I know it does. Seems like it's decades ago. And anything else? I had some other questions for you here, but anything else related to daily rituals or habits we should keep top of mind? Well, some people believe in reading self-help books. I'm certainly a huge proponent. In some venues, my book is considered a self-help book. And so, sure, working on yourself is always important. Yeah, that's true. So tell me about somebody that has benefited from your programs or your consulting or your books. Uh, Tell me about somebody that had the problem of feeling burned out. How did they recover? What did they do? Tell me about, and you don't have to mention their name, of course, but how did they recover and thrive in spite of being burned out? Well, there was one young woman, young Asian woman who came to me. And like you alluded to earlier, very high achiever, very hardworking. 
And she grew up with those hardworking values, which on the surface look important and good. Mm -hmm. But if you had, if you grew up in a home where achievement was rated above personal mental health, Mm -hmm. you carry those habits into adulthood. And she was like in her late 20s. So she still hadn't had the benefit of the kind of work that I do, or she hadn't had therapy or anything like that. And one day she actually broke down and cried and said that her parents never gave her positive report reinforcement. If she came home with an A and it was a 93, their attitude was what happened to the other seven points? Wow. Rather than good work, I can see how hard you were working. You made an A. And really, I mean, you could get you could get me all day talking about grades and school. Not everybody is meant to be a textbook learner. And not everybody excels in school, but they excel in life because they have other very important qualities like emotional intelligence. Yeah. How did she handle that? How did she recover from that? Well, first of all, crying is a very healing activity because it's very cleansing, figuratively and literally. She worked chapter three in my book, which is Unpack Your Emotional Baggage. That's the only chapter I don't talk about much in presentations or workshops because it's personal work. And it's very vulnerable. And I don't expect people in a workplace to get that vulnerable unless they want to. Right. And so that's the part about digging deep into where your thought patterns came from and then bringing them out to light. It's like taking a stinger from a bee out of your arm. Once you get the stinger, the healing begins. So you think that impacts people's mental health in terms of burning out? Very much so because it impacts their daily habits, and what their expectations are of themselves. Yeah. Very important. That's something I've seen within the legal industry is that being a recruiter, I talk to dozens of partners, new people I haven't met before each week, and I get to see what motivates them. And some people, we get to know each other pretty well, and they live balanced lives. In spite of putting out so much time to their clients, They live vibrant lives of family. And if they're not married or have a family, they've got close friends. They Mm -hmm. actually take time off and they spend time with them. Some of the exercises I suggest to them as they go through the process of moving from one firm to another is to journal, to journal because it's an emotional journey of leaving a firm where you've been for 18 years, going somewhere else. It's a positive stressor, but it's still a stressor. And some people... They blow it off. (laughs) Whatever, that's fine. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a headhunter. But other people, they really know that this is deep work that they're doing that does have an emotional toll, even though the payoff is going to be huge for them emotionally and in other ways as well. So I found that it, it seems like professionals can have those not deep therapist level conversations, but we talk about the importance of managing one's emotions and understanding the emotional context of that move. And I'm sure that you've seen that in your work with other professionals. Uh, You mentioned the phrase emotional intelligence. Talk a little bit about that. How does that impact our ability to banish burnout? Well, it's a good question. And I'm going to tie it back to something you just said. When someone's looking for a job, and as you know, I was a recruiter as well. Right. It's important for them to interview the company as much as them being interviewed. Because in theory... They don't want to change jobs in one month or two months or six months. I got to a job once and realized I had made a mistake after a month or two. And that was terrible because I was not, that was back when job hopping was like 
you left before four years, you're a job hopper. <laughs> right, now it's like right. six, 12 or 18 months. But especially for attorneys, I assume they don't want to job hop. And so it's important for them to understand, are they going into an environment that's not going to be a pressure cooker to the degree that they're expected to work 100 hours a week and have so many billable hours to the point of not having time with their family and not focusing on their mental health? So interviewing companies about emotional intelligence. Interesting. I had one one young woman call me uh, six months or a year ago, and she said, I have a list of questions I ask employers. And one day it was a small company. She was meeting the CEO. She was, I think she was interviewing for like an executive admin office manager type position. And she said to the CEO, what is your attitude about emotional intelligence? And they said, well, I'm the boss. I'm the owner. What I say goes. <laughs> and she said, with all due respect, to save my time and yours, I'm going to end this interview. This is not a fit for me. So wow. I really encourage people to understand what makes a fit yeah. for a new job, especially in regard to emotional intelligence, because people get promoted for technical skills, whether it's law, architecture, or software. That's interesting. So I'm kind of curious, what happened to the person that you told me about before that went through her life and not getting that kind of positive reinforcement? How did she overcome the situation? Well, first of all, when you dig deep and writing with pen and paper or pen and device, as long as you're writing by hand, you know, now they have these devices where you can write with an electronic pen. Sure. As long as your, your hand is doing the writing, your brain is activated in an area that doesn't happen when you're typing. So because she got in touch with this memory from the past, the power was removed. And she now was aware. Anytime you're aware of a pattern, you have the ability to change it. That's great. That's fantastic. For any kind of change, whether it's behavior change or organizational change, the obvious first step is you have to be aware of what the current situation is. That's great. So what are some pitfalls that we need to be aware of? Some areas where if we start doing the work that you're recommending, it just might not work for us. So there, is there anything that we should be aware of in terms of pitfalls that you've seen other people just fall into as they start doing this work? You know, it depends on the person. Some people have, and this phrase, there are different phrases that are used to describe this. Some people have something that some people refer to as systemic anxiety. Mm-hmm or biochemical anxiety and depression, meaning they cannot control their depression. Okay. Some people can choose to be miserable. So there are two different groups of people. That's a really important distinction to make. Why why would they choose to be miserable, do you think? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's many, many, many people like that. They're self-serving, they're egotistical, they're narcissistic, and they like to complain because they misery loves company. Oh, that's right. You get attention. You get to be the victim. You get to be the victim and they think it's all about me. They forget that when you reach outside yourself and help another person, you will be happy. And I I believe based on my own life experience and that of people close to me, that it is learned behavior from a parent. Interesting. So we're going deep here, right? Chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we'll say. Read chapter three. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm partly kidding. Chapter two also has identifying your patterns. 
So if you're the person that's always worried about things that aren't that worrisome, like you're projecting into the future, you know what they say about uh, mindfulness? You're focused only on this exact moment without judgment in this moment in time. You're not worried about the past and you're not worried about the future. Right. People who have depression and anxiety are focused on the future or the past, not the present moment. So let me ask you this then, Janice, and everything you've said has been very helpful. I've learned a lot. I'm excited to really implement some of these ideas that you've come up with. And so if we could kind of synthesize this into three action steps that people can start with to really implement some of these ideas, what would those three action steps be? Okay, number one, get the book. Okay, good. And, and we'll, put the links, to, we'll put I'm the link I'm going to give notes. you a link to a free chapter. Oh, good, good. So if they go to the book page of my website, JaniceLiffin.com, they can scroll down to the bottom, they get a free chapter. That's Perfect. number one. Read chapter one. We haven't talked about chapter one. Chapter one is an instant first thing that people can understand and do to change To begin to change, number one, it builds the awareness step that I talked about. There is some writing and there also is some awareness building as to what your thought patterns are. For example, this is a mundane example, but it really illustrates the point. You're in a long line at your favorite coffee shop. You thought, I'm going to run in, grab a cup of coffee. But there's a long, long line. Someone called in sick and there's a really long line and you've got to get to work or get to a meeting. And you can feel yourself getting angrier and angrier. The thoughts in your head are going crazy, critical, angry, projected at the person at the counter or the person in front of you online asking a million questions. Does that help anybody? Yeah. Does it help you? No. no. It makes you angry. Right. It, and by the way, anger and all these stressful feelings are felt in the body first. And part of that is described in chapter one. But what I want to talk about here is reframing the dialogue in the head. How about saying to yourself, wow, this is a really long line. Someone must have called in sick. I feel bad for the person at the counter who's got to deal with all these customers. How about going up to the when it's my turn and saying to the person, how's your day going? It must be really hard standing on your feet all day waiting on all these irate customers, how are you doing? And they'll get a big smile on their face or a big sign of relief and say, wow, thank you for asking. Now you've made them feel better. And even in a way more important, you've made yourself feel better because you've gotten rid of the anger. That's great. And so let me kind of summarize. You talk about get the book, get the link to the free chapter. Does this talk about the awareness building in that chapter, in that first chapter? Chapter one. Chapter okay, one is, is primarily about awareness building. And the acronym or the first tool is called STOP. Stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. Stop, take a breath, observe your thoughts, and then choose how to react. That's great. I like um, that. What to say or not to say. Let's say you're in a meeting, you're in a a difficult negotiation and it's just not going well and everybody's at cross purposes and you can't get them to see your side and they can't get you to see their side. How about stopping the meeting and saying, I see we're at cross purposes today. I know we want to come up with a win-win. Why don't we end the meeting for now? Think about both sides, what we hope to gain and come back tomorrow thinking about how we can come up with a win-win. Yeah. It helps you and it helps them. Great. Okay, so this is great. I mean, you've given us a lot 
a lot here. And step one, okay, what's step two? <laughs> so step one was get the book. Step two was read chapter one. Okay, got it. Okay, we got read chapter one. Okay, good. And then what's step three? What What's the third action step people can take to get started? Read chapter two. <laughs> okay, great. This is good. I like this. This is simple. Read chapter two. Good. But chapter Typing. one actually had chapter one actually has two parts. So you can consider that one action step or two action steps. However okay, good. <laughs> we'll get a bo- we'll make it a bonus action step. So I talked about stop. <laughs> right. The other tool that I talk about in chapter one is called the stress audit. And I we you and I both were focused on uh journaling and writing earlier. Mm-hmm. But when something happens like that conversation I just described or something worse where you're in a meeting and you're trying to solve a big problem and you're all on the same team and you're brainstorming and somebody doesn't like your idea and they go, no, that doesn't work. We don't do things like that. That cuts the flow of problem solving. It makes you feel bad because the other person negated you, invalidated your intelligence and your creativity. Right. And so the most important thing you can do is understand how that made you feel, which a lot of high-performing individuals, especially attorneys, will go, I don't have time for that. That doesn't matter. It does matter because your body is experiencing that stress. And if you ignore your body, it will react. You'll get sick. You'll have a stomach ache. You'll have some kind of physiological problem. Because those physiological responses are there. Your body is the keeper of your emotions. Right. This is great. Well, well, Janice, you've given us some great ideas here. I'm excited about what I've learned from you today. If people want to reach out to you, we'll put all of your contact info and your links that you mentioned on the show notes. So for everybody listening, you can go to the show notes and reach with Janice directly. But what are the offerings that you have? What is it that you have that you do that you'd like for our listeners to know about today? Well, I speak as a keynote speaker, or I can do in-depth workshops, 90 minutes, three hours, six hours. Some clients want me for six hours. I can make learning really fun. Even though the topic is very, very serious, I infuse games into every hour. Oh, great. So we're laughing and we're having fun. And that's how learning is anchored. And we're doing physical activities. You know, they say, a lot of children have trouble learning because they're too physical, hyperactive. Yeah. So we make learning physical for the people who want to get up. That's great. I think we that would be perfect. Music and we use games and we make it fun and we yet we solve deep problems. That's great. I think that'd be perfect for a lot of the law firm retreats that firms have for associates yeah. and partners because I know burnout is a big part of that industry and for all the other industries that are represented by our listeners today. Well, Janice, thank you so much for being here. We're going to put a link to the book information as well on the show notes. You've been a great guest. I look forward to having you back on here in the future, Janice. Thank you. Thank you. You're a very unique interviewer. So thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate being here very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.